Have you ever done something and then at the end of it, you were just in awe of what you just accomplished? Maybe it surprised you or shocked you that you made it this far. Maybe for you, it looks like that dream job that you applied for and you got it. The company saw something in you. Or maybe it was with a team. You didn't think you'd be at the championship game and here you are hoisting that trophy in victory. And my question for you is, what do you do after that? What do you do after that sense of accomplishment? Do you celebrate it and revel in it? Or do you rest from it, take a break, get a vacation? Or you just keep pressing on or keep going? You see, that's kind of the scene here in the Galilee region. Jesus has spent all morning long with thousands of people teaching them and meeting their needs. And it's right here in Matthew chapter 14 where he says something to his disciples. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. So it's here in the Galilee region where Jesus has been ministering to this crowd of 5,000 families. I mean, you can imagine the scene on this hillside. Thousands of people, families lined up, listening to the teaching of Jesus. And it's about evening time, dinner time. They're getting hungry. You can hear the babies crying because they want food. And so Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, don't send the crowd away, let's feed them. But there's a problem. The disciples say, we, we only have five loaves of bread and, and two fish. What are we gonna do with this, Jesus? I mean, in our culture today, we'd call that a happy meal. And how in the world are we gonna feed thousands of people with this amount of food? We have limited resources, Jesus. But he says, feed them anyway. And man, it's right here where the crowd and the disciples are probably in awe because as they pass out the food, Jesus multiplies it. And not only does he feed this large crowd, but there's 12 baskets left over. This miracle happens, but yet it's not right here where we wanna zoom in. It's what happens next that we see something crazy and shocking about Jesus. Look what it says in Matthew 14. It says, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get in the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. You see, right after this miracle, what does Jesus do? He sends his disciples and the crowd away. I mean, why would Jesus do that? This makes no sense to me. My, my mind can't fully wrap around why Jesus would do this. This was his moment. This was his opportunity to strike while the iron was hot. He had just met this crowd's needs. He had fed them. He performed a miracle. He gave them a glimpse of who he was. Why not right now, Jesus, teach them? Teach them about the gospel, about who you are. But what does he do? He sends them away. I just don't understand this, but yet right here is I think where we see something about Jesus that we all need. It's a trend in his life because we see Jesus prioritized his time with his father over his time with the crowd. Let me say that again so it, it seeps in. Jesus put the priority not on the needs or the desires of the crowd, but he put the priority on his time alone depending on his father. And this is something that you see in Jesus all throughout his life and his ministry. You see this trend and this rhythm of who Jesus was. In fact, let me show you another example, Luke chapter five. It says this in verse 15, yet the news about him spread all the more 
so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. So here in Luke, the crowds are coming from all around the region. Why are they coming? Because Jesus isn't an ordinary man. He can heal them of their sickness and give them hope. That's what the people were looking for. And what does Jesus do as this crowd grows larger and larger? Look at verse 16, it says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Yet again, hear this rhythm in Jesus's life. As the crowd grew larger, he knew what he needed more than anything was the priority was on his time with his father, this unfiltered and unhindered dependence on his dad. Another example, Mark chapter one, it says very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Also in Luke chapter six, it says one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and he spent the night praying to God. So we see this evidence all throughout Jesus's life of him prioritizing his time with his father rather than his time with the crowd. And yet I wonder if that's true about me and if that's true about you. Where do you put the priority? See, so many of us today, we put our priority on our family, on our kids, on our job and the craziness of life. Jesus had all of those things. And yet he put the priority on his time with his father. He got away from the crowd. And my question for all of us to learn from Jesus is how could he do this? How could Jesus, I mean, the crowd, of, if they needed anybody, it was Jesus. He was their hope. He came to seek and to save them. And you would think Jesus needed to be near the crowd. How in the world could he get away from them? They had needs. They wanted Jesus. They sought after Jesus. So how could he do it? Well, right here we see Jesus often said no to great things so he could say yes to the best things. Jesus often had to say no to people's needs, to people's wants, to healing them, to meeting their needs. Why? So he could experience the thing he needed most, and that was time with his Father. And I wonder about us today, I wonder about me, how often am I saying yes to great things, things that I think I need in my life at the expense of the best thing that I can experience in life, and that's intimacy with my Heavenly Father. I wonder how many of us are truly getting caught up in all the good things in life, and it's costing us. So here Jesus is. He just performed a miracle. 5,000 families saw what he was capable of. And look what he does, verse 23. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. You know, when we read this text, I don't think we fully understand the gravity of what it would take for Jesus to literally climb a mountainside to spend time with his Father. That's why I'm here at the base of Mount Arbel, right in the region of Galilee, next to the Sea of Galilee. And it would be really close to the location where Jesus fed the 5,000. And this was probably one of the mountainside that Jesus climbed to be alone with his Father. And when we read that text, we just kind of skim through Jesus climbing a mountain. And part of this series is to take you on a journey for you to experience what it would have looked like and felt like 
for Jesus to actually do this. Because yet again, we don't understand the gravity of this climb. I mean, look around me. It's rocky terrain to climb up this mountainside. Jesus didn't have athletic shoes on. He would have had probably old leather sandals. It would have been hard and difficult, taxing on his body and his mind to get up this mountainside, probably in the dark. And yet we don't really understand how difficult of a journey this was. To traverse a mountain, to climb up a cliff. Why? To just get alone with his father. So why would Jesus take this arduous journey? Why would he tax his body so much to spend time with his heavenly father? And I think we see something about Jesus that is absolutely amazing. It's that he relied on God more than anything else. He had this unfiltered dependence on his father to be, to refuel him, to strengthen him, to give him his mission. And yet I wonder about us. I, I wonder what we rely on today. I find myself many times relying on my own wisdom and my own strength. And maybe even a better question is, is what lengths am I willing to go to to be alone with God. See, it's hard sometimes for many of us to get up 30 minutes early to spend time with our heavenly father, but yet Jesus was willing to climb a mountain to be alone with his father. And what you see in Jesus is Jesus made time. He didn't say he didn't have time. See, he didn't have an excuse. This was the priority. He left the crowd and their needs to spend time with his father. And I wonder about us when it comes to the excuses that we make not to spend time with God, to have intimacy and to draw from God as our living water. What excuses do you have today? Maybe your schedule is really packed and really busy. People need you, the company relies on you, your children need you. And so you come up with an excuse of a busy schedule not to get away and climb the mountain to be with God. Maybe it's because things are chaotic in your life. Maybe it's because you barely get any sleep. I don't know what excuses you have. But what I see in Jesus is he was willing to climb a mountain, to tax his body, to be tired and exhausted, and that didn't keep him from spending time with his father. What excuses are keeping you from relying and depending on the one you need most? And after Jesus took the hard journey to get to the top of this mountain, this is what he would see. You see, the top of this mountain was a huge reminder from God to his son, a reminder of why he came in the first place that he was the savior of the world. And as he gazed upon this region, 
He could see the area that he would minister to for three years. He could see Chorazin, he could see Bethsaida, he could see Capernaum, people that he would love. You see, this was a huge reminder for him, for the people that he needed to minister to. The top of this mountain refueled Jesus to go back to minister to the people who needed the hope from him. In fact, look what he says in Matthew chapter nine. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And as Jesus gazed upon this region, he was reminded that this shepherd had come, that he was here to help the helpless, that he was here to give hope to the hopeless. And what's amazing about Jesus in the top of this mountain is you would think of if anybody didn't need prayer, if anybody didn't need to be dependent on God, it was Jesus. Yet no one is more characterized by prayer than Jesus. And what a powerful reminder for all of us as we look at Jesus in this journey to the top of the mountain, as he pushed away the crowds to be alone with his father, how much more do we need this than him? And so I would ask you, what about you? What about our church? What about me? Are we marked by prayer? Are we marked by an unfiltered dependence on God? Man, this is a reminder. This mountain is a challenge for me. It's a challenge for our church and it's a challenge for you as an individual that man, we need to put our focus not on the crowds, not on the needs. We need to say no to great things so we can get to a mountain like this and experience the best thing. That's intimacy with our heavenly father. You know, I'm convinced that in life and in our culture, in our society, one of the hardest things to do in life is to fully depend on someone or something. It's really not something that we like to do, we want to do, is to fully put our eggs in, in one basket, to bank on somebody, to rely on somebody. And maybe that the reason why is because we've tried it. We, we, we've relied or depended on someone and it failed miserably and it cost us greatly. Maybe it was you who de depended on a, a family member, a coworker, or a spouse, and they let you down. And it caused trust relationships in your, in your relationships. It's caused trust issues in every area of your life, or maybe even worse, maybe for you it was God. You tried to, to bank on God. You, you, you tried the whole depending, this unfiltered dependence on God, and yet you feel like God let you down. He didn't come through the way you wanted him to do, and, and it's caused this issue in your relationship with God. You see, what's interesting as we look at Jesus' life, he had this unfiltered dependence on his father. He trusted him. He banked on him. He relied on him. And he's an example that, that really should lead us to do the same thing. And in Proverbs chapter three, it really kind of defines what dependence is. It kind of gives us a process of how we get to where Jesus was when it comes to relying on God. Look what the author of Proverbs says. He says this, he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. 
And here the author of Proverbs just kind of shows us how we get to the place of depending on God. But you want to know why we don't like to go there? It's because when you depend on somebody, it puts you in a vulnerable place. It, it removes the control out of your hands and places it into somebody else's hands. And if we're honest, we don't like that. And the author of Proverbs, he says, if you want to truly depend on God, it starts with one word, trust. That you have to make the conscious choice in your life to trust God with your heart, to surrender to him, to submit to his ways, to trust him. And when you choose trust in God, it causes you to transfer something where you lean. You see, most of us today, when we lean, when we, when we struggle, when we have something we have to conquer in life, we lean not on God's understanding, but we lean on our own. We lean on our wisdom, we lean on our strength and our ability, our capacity, but when you fully depend on God and trust in God, the Bible says that you will actually lean in the opposite direction of yourself. You will lean on God's understanding and you will trust in his wisdom and his strength that he will provide for you. And when you lean that way, it says that you will submit to him, you will surrender to him, you will follow him in every area of your life. That's what true dependence looks like. That's what we see in Jesus. And I wonder what it looks like in our lives and in our culture today. And when I was thinking about this idea of, of dependence, I thought about the time where Ashley and I traveled to China for our adoption. We had never been to Guangzhou, China before, a city of 22 million people just kind of packed in this really big city. And here's, here's the reality. When we were planning and getting on that plane, we had no clue how to get to anywhere in China. We had no clue how to speak the language. And so our adoption agency provided us a guide. And we banked and we relied and we depended on that guide. And at any moment, if this guide decided to abandon us, to leave us, to just kind of let us do our own thing, we were in trouble because we depended on him. And that's exactly how Jesus lived his life with God. Everything that he did, he leaned, he trusted on his father. And as we look at Jesus' example, his example of dependence, his example of getting away from the crowd and refueling, I just have really two questions I want to ask you this morning. Two pointed questions that I think we all need to wrestle with as we reflect on this message. The first one is this. What is filtering your dependence on God? What are the things in your life that are actually getting in the way of you fully surrendering and fully committing to God, to depending and relying on him? What excuses have you come up with? What excuses are you living in in a daily manner that keep you from surrendering fully to God? See, I think for a lot of us, maybe the first one is as simple as time. Our lives are so busy. And if you look at our calendar, it's full. We go from this thing to the next thing. We, we take care of our kids, the needs of people surround us. And so it's work and it's our families and it's our moms and dads, it's our kids, it's the sports, it's the extracurricular activities, it's the hobbies. And honestly, we would love to depend on God, but we look at our schedule and we say, you know, God, I barely have time for me, let alone you. Maybe it's time that's filtering your dependence, or, or maybe it's just laziness, right? Or maybe you just think there, there are more valuable things in life, things that you want to chase after more than really depending on God. Or, or maybe it's this. Maybe it's just sheer self-reliance. 
Maybe you, you, you go through life and you're like, well, God, thanks for the offer, but, but I, I got my life figured out. I, I can figure it out on my own. I can handle my own business, God. I appreciate you trying to be there for me, but I've got this. I'm good. Because you rely on, on you. Why would you need God? And really, when it comes to these things, what it does is it reveals to all of us our priorities. Our priorities really reveal to us, they give us a window into what we truly value. You see, we all have limited resources. We have limited money, we have limited time, and we have limited energy. And how we spend those things, how we invest those things, really reveal our priorities, and our priorities reveal to us what we value. Now, I'm going to say something that might be, sound a little harsh. I don't mean it to be harsh, but I mean it to challenge me and you. Because when I look at the way people spend their money, when I look at how people spend their time, what it says to me is, honestly, people really don't value God that much. And I know, man, that hurts me, and I hope at some level it, 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 it pricks your heart to, to look at yourself and say, man, do the way I invest the things that God has given me reveal that I prioritize him above a lot of things, not a lot, but all things. Let's press in here for a second. Because I think if you were to look at your life, if I was to look at my life, maybe today your life would say, you actually prioritize Netflix over God. You'll make time to watch your show, but to read your Bible? <laughs> Maybe today you, you, you prioritize that shopping spree or that home repair project over, over God and what he wants for you. Or maybe it's a little more time at the party. Maybe it's your job or your kids or your spouse or your family that you have placed the priority on over God. And notice, these aren't bad things. These aren't things that I'm like, whoa, why would, they, why would they do those things? These are all good things that actually, it's, it's often the case, the good things in life actually keep us from the best thing, intimacy with our heavenly father. And what we have to learn by Jesus' example as he was willing to climb a mountain to, to get away from the crowd and depend on God is we have to pull those filters off of our lives so we can fully surrender and submit and rely on God. But there's a second question. The first one is what, what's filtering your dependence and reliance on God, but secondly, do you recognize your need to spiritually recharge? Do you realize that in life you can only go, go, go and give, give, give for so long until you actually need to recharge and refuel? You see, this is a, a big tension in Christianity with very mature Christians because we hear it all the time, right? In churches, it's, 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 it's give, give, give. It's give of your finances, give of your time, serve in, in, in a ministry and, and serve outside in the community and love and, and give mercy and grace and forgive. It's all about giving, giving, giving. And, and the problem is, is so many mature Christians, they are bought into God that they give and they give and they give and they're running on fumes. They're empty because they haven't taken the time to, to get away from all the needs of people that surround them and to get alone with God and to refuel. You know, I heard today was gonna be 55 degrees. Oh, come on, amen, amen, amen. The sun is out today, baby. And you know what that often means? If, if you don't have one of those fancy car washes, it means that, you know, kids, we're washing the car today. <laughs> 
We're going to get the cars cleaned. And you know, when you think about this sponge, right? I think it's a great example of how oftentimes we live our lives. You see, because when you first met Jesus, you were kind of on this high that, that God would actually give up his son to save you from your sin, and you couldn't get enough of the Bible. And so what you would do is you would live in this lifestyle where you would fuel up from the well, the source of God, and you would live in this manner where you'd be like, God is love, and you would give love, and he's mercy, and he's grace, and you would give out. And then when you ran out on empty, you would go back to the water, and you would go to your Bible, and you would fill up so you could give out more. But here's what happens to a lot of us, if not all of us. I've experienced this in life. Is some form of trauma happens to us. Some form of circumstance or situation, maybe it's a divorce, the the death of someone, that shakes our faith, it puts doubts in our minds, and what it does is it hijacks our our identity and going back to God to be refueled. And so what we do is we still live in the same, same lifestyle, we still lead the group, We we still serve in kids' ministry and student ministry, and we're pouring out, and we're pouring out, and then we get to this place where we realize that there is absolutely nothing left to give. And I believe this today, that a lot of Christians live right here. We know we're supposed to give, and so we try to give, and we try to give until this thing is falling apart. We're burnt out, we're tired, we're weary, and The reason why is because we've forgotten maybe one of the most important things to giving is to going back to the source of where you get so you can give. You see, the truth is, is you can only give out what you have allowed in. As Christians, we want to change the world, but the only way we change the world is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we don't start there, we'll never change the world. Because you can only give what you have allowed God to put in your life. Think about this for a second. If Jesus, if Jesus, who it was fully God and fully man, needed to get away from the needs of people, needed to get away from the crowds who wanted him, who desired him, who needed his leadership, if he needed that, how much more do you think we do? But here's the problem. I think for many of us, we want to rest. We want to be refueled. We, we, we sense the burnout setting in. We, we sense the weariness and the tiredness. But here's the problem. I, I think we've forgotten how to find rest. I think our culture has actually hijacked what rest truly is. Because when you're tired, when I'm tired, do you know what I naturally go to? A couple things. I've got kids, and so I think if I'm tired, a nap will solve all my problems. Just put the kids in the other room, lock the door, and let me sleep for a couple hours, and I will feel rested. Or you know what? Maybe it's a vacation, right? Work is stressing you out, and so you're just like, if I could just get a week away, I could go to that, that, that resort, or I could go on that cruise. Actually, I wouldn't do a cruise right now. I'm just saying. <laughs> but we think, man, that vacation, if I could just have that vacation, then I would come back refueled, rested. But what happens is, in so many times in life, we take the nap, we go on the vacation, and we get back, and we're like, I need a vacation from the vacation. Why is that? It's because we don't know where we truly find rest. Because the reality is, is you can find physical rest on earth by getting a nap or going on vacation or doing that hobby that, that, that relieves your stress a little bit. But the truth is, is if you truly want to find rest, you got to know where to go for it. 
And the reality is, is if you've ever seen somebody who you're just like, well, how are you so rested? How, how? They might have hobbies and self-discipline, but the truth is, is truly rested people have been alone with God. If you want and you need rest in your life today, you can try all the other things our world has to offer, but if you want to find a rest that is not only physical, but emotional and spiritual, you got to take some time in your calendar and just get away from the noise and the chaoticness of life and just be with your Savior. You see, that's what Jesus is reminding us of. That's what we see in his life. He got away from the crowd so often. Why? Because he knew where rest was. It was on a mountain with God alone. And so as we look at Mount Arbel, a a place near the Sea of Galilee, as we look at Jesus' example, may it be a reminder for all of us of our desperate need of depending on God and where we should go to refuel and recharge. And so what does this mean for us? You see, it would be a huge fail in the life of our church if you walk out of this series for six weeks leading into Easter, and you would walk away and you'd be like, you know what? That was awesome footage. Like the drone shots in that series were awesome. They are awesome. Don't get me wrong. But we would just throw away money if that's all you got out of the series. It would be a waste for me to go to Israel and, 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 and plan all these series out if it doesn't change me and it doesn't change you. And here's how I think week one can change us together. And I want to challenge you to do two things. The first thing, I want to challenge you to live in the rhythm Jesus did. I want you to get away from the crowd. I want you to, in this week, schedule some time, 30 minutes to be exact. I want you to put it in your calendar, and I want you to call it get away from the crowd time. And this is not time for you to listen to music on uh, whatever playlist you have. It's not time for you to do your hobby. It's time for you to be with God, just you and him. Now, let me pause here, and let me define what I mean by the crowd, because If you're at one of our campuses this morning, you are with the crowd, and I'm not telling you to get away from that crowd. What I'm telling you is the crowd is anything that gets in the way of you depending on God. The crowd is anything that would distract you or hindering you from placing your full reliance and dependence on God. And here's the crazy thing. It's probably not the bad things in your life. It's probably the good things. It could be your spouse. It could be your kids. It could be your job. These are all good things in your life, things that you need, things that you should love, but there is a time where you have to, you know, just put your kids down for a nap or put them in, the, in a room with a movie so you can just have time in your bathroom with just you and God. You see, there's things that distract us that are good things in our life that keep us from the best thing. So I would challenge you to get away from the crowd, the noise, the chaoticness of life. And it's interesting. Here's, here's what's so fascinating. Look what... The author of Psalms says in in chapter 46, he says this. He says, be still and know that I am God. Now, to me, it's, it's very interesting that of all the things that you would say to know there's evidence of God, the author of Psalms actually says, it's actually just being still. Getting alone in the quietness of life and allowing God the freedom to speak directly to you with no distraction. What would that look like for our lives if we were just to turn off our cell phone? It won't kill you, I promise, to to put the laptop down, to, to dismiss everything in your life but Jesus. To be still. 
And what I love about this verse is you can actually uh, translate those two words, be still, two ways. The first one is the obvious way, the the way we read it in, in our English language, of just quietness. We've lost the art of quietness in our lives, of just no noise, nothing, just me and God time. But the second translation of those two words, be still, is actually be weak. Fascinating, right? Like, that God actually says, you want to know how you'll know I'm God? It's not when you think you're strong. It's actually in your weakest moments. The apostle Paul talks about this. He says, hey, when you are weak, his grace will be sufficient for you because in your weakness, his power is made perfect. And here's what's amazing about this psalm is he says, when you are still, when you are quiet, when you choose to be weak and depend on something like when you choose to be weak and depend on God, guess what you will know? That he is God. But I don't think many of us like to be quiet or weak in life. And so we wonder why we doubt God. We wonder why we go around searching for God and God's like, hey, if you would just stop and you would just surrender, you would know that I am God. So the first thing is to get away from the crowd. The second thing I would challenge you to do is find rest in him. To know where you find rest in life. You know I I don't care who you are this morning, whether you go to work every single week, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, you're a teenager in school, you go to college, you're writing papers. I I don't care who you are today. I, I know for every single one of us, there are times in life where we are just tired and weary and burnt out and frustrated and stressed. And the one thing that we often need in life is just that simple word, rest. But when I look around, how come no one seems to find it? How come when you look at life and you turn on the news, it doesn't seem like we live in a rested country. It seems like we live in a tumultuous and crazy. How come when I look at Christians, we don't seem to be rested. We seem to be tired and burnt out. And I think it's because we don't know where to find rest. And Jesus offers you this invitation. He says three words. He says, come to me. When you need a break, you're tired and you're weary, Jesus says, right here, right here's where you come. And look who he's talking to. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I wonder how many of us today that describes. I wonder how many of you watching online or at one of our campuses today, you would say, that's me. I'm weary and I'm burdened and I'm stressed. Work is killing me. My kids are driving me crazy. Life is pouring down on me. Can I tell you today, that's me. In the season of life that I'm in, I'm weary, and I'm burdened, and I'm hurting. And I'm glad that I have a Savior that says, you drew? Just come to me. Just come to me. And he promises you and me one thing. This is what he promises. He says, you are weary and you're tired. I, Jesus, will give you rest. And what's beautiful about this rest is it's not just circumstantial rest. It's rest here on earth, but it's also rest for all of eternity. That if you would do what Proverbs says, you would trust with your whole heart in God and what he accomplished for you on that cross and that he rose again to defeat your sin. If you trust in that, you will have rest for the rest of your life. And what's amazing as I prep this message, you know, we we planned this series a year ago. We write our our, our sermons 12 weeks out. 
And it's amazing, last week we, we were in a series called God Is, and we talked about how God is sovereign, right? He knows the end from the beginning. He's in control of all things. And man, to know that I would talk about dependence on today is, is, is amazing to me because God is teaching me what it looks like and what it feels like to fully depend on him right now. Maybe you know this, maybe you don't. We shot this series about a month ago. And the last day of our trip, I was at breakfast with our Henrietta campus pastor, Aaron Hickson, and I was sitting with my wife and we were eating breakfast and all of a sudden my phone rang. And what was weird is I looked at my phone, it was a FaceTime from my brother and what was so strange about it was 8 a.m. in Israel time is like 2 a.m. in the United States. And I was like, why is my brother calling me now? And so I answered the phone and I could immediately tell something was wrong. His face was blotchy, there were tears rolling down his eyes and with two words, my life changed. He said, dad's gone. And it shocked me. That was the last call I was expecting or wanted. Because with just two words a month ago, I lost a hero, I lost a father, I lost a dad, I lost a best friend. And so the only thing I knew to do was to get on the first plane home and just mourn and grieve with my family. And so we got on the plane, plane 12 hours later, we were home. And I can remember two days after that moment, I was lying in bed, it was the middle of the night, because man, you probably know this, when you grieve, sleep is just not something that comes easy. And it was the middle of the night and I just cried out to God and I said two things, I said, God, I, I can't do this. Like, I can't do this without you. And then I said a second thing, I, I said to God, I said, God, I need you now more than I've ever needed you. And in that quietness of a dark room in the middle of the night, God said two things to me. He whispered into my heart through the Holy Spirit. The first thing he said gave me rest and it gave me comfort. He said, Drew, I am right here. I have never left you and I never will. In the midst of your tears and your pain, I am right here. But then the second thing he said to me, he almost rebuked my bad theology. Because remember, I said, God, I need you more than I've ever needed you. And he said, Drew, no. You're just actually reminded now that you've always needed me this way. And man, it takes sometimes crazy moments like that for all of us to be reminded of that's how we, got, we need God every single moment and every single second, in the morning and in the good, in the messy and in the magnificent. We need to learn to depend on God. And I'm sorry that it took me, my dad's death, to realize that I had lived in a manner where I was depending on myself, where I was leaning on my own understanding, and God just simply said, Drew, come to me, and I'll show you what it looks like to depend on me. My prayer today is that the image of Jesus on that mountaintop will remind you of how you desperately need him. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you that you are always there. Thank you that in the midst of uncertainty and pain and grief, that you are right there. And we don't need you more in those moments, God. We need you the same every day, every second, every hour. Remind us that we are nothing without you, that you are the vine and we are the branch and we must remain in you. 
So help us do that, God. In Jesus' name, amen.